Welcome to this episode of Pen to Paper Press Podcast. I am Cindy Coaches. I enjoy spending time with best-selling authors, writers, editors, publishers, and the creative souls to talk about the process of developing our stories to completing our works of art. Each episode is an opportunity for us to explore mindsets, pearls of wisdom, and the experiences that began our journey as a writer from the moment we put pen to paper. Today, I'm speaking with Emily Thoreau Thread. She holds a master's degree in English with a concentration in writing up my alley. (laughs) She teaches writing and composition on the college and university level for over 30 years and has published three writing textbooks. Emily has much experience in the grieving process and has learned to face life with love, optimism, and joy. She is the author of Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief, a comprehensive guide to reclaiming and cultivating joy and carrying on in the face of loss. Emily, it is wonderful to have you here in the studio and joining me. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. You are welcome. And I have to ask and get it right for the record. How do I enunciate your last names? Because I want to make sure people have it right. <laughs> okay. Well, I have uh, kept the last names of my two husbands because I went by each last name for a significant number of years, and it just seemed logical to keep them both. So the first one is Thoreau, like the author Henry David Thoreau, even though he didn't spell it like we do. And the other one is Threat. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that because I want people to know how to say your last name. That's that's important to me. And, and I know I, I'm not always good at enunciations. But what has me very curious, you, you're a writing instructor, you've given lectures on writing, you've done it all in regards to writing. You wrote three textbooks, then you wrote a book on grief. And to me, that's a lot of left brain, right brain. Uh, I don't want to say separation, but the whole thinking patterns on on both books is so different. What kind of challenges did you have when it came to writing your personal story? I actually found it easier to write than the other things that the, the College textbooks were pretty much what I would, the information that I would use in class every day to teach. And what the one uh, called The Critical Edge was really creative because I wrote that in the early 1990s on how to teach or, or how to research and write from using online sources. And at that time, online sources were in their infancy. And so it it was kind of a challenge. And unfortunately, it didn't sell as well as I thought it was going to because it was ahead of the curve. And the timing just wasn't right. If I would have waited a couple of years to publish it, it probably would have done a lot better. But my publisher, it was a traditional publisher, really wanted to get it out because they thought it would be great to be first with that information. Of course, of course. So both of those were were very creative to me on the way that I was used to writing and with 
lecturing at the university and that sort of a thing. I had a certain style and I could do everything just in, in the style that I was used to. Where this book, my new book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief, was a whole different direction. Um, both of them are creative. And I feel, for, for me, I feel like I'm one of those people that's left-brained and right-brained because I'm, I'm very creative, but I'm also... Uh, really technical. I, I teach technical and report writing, and you've got the, you know, that's uh, all your periods in the right place, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. doing everything by the the formula that's required for whatever it is that you're writing, which which happens often in, in technical and report writing. So this the the new book was more on the creative scale, but knowing how to do the other writing at the same time, it all just kind of blended together. And it was really a wonderful experience. The process of writing it was, I, I really enjoyed. And I think that joy comes through in, in what I say and, and how I approach the people. I also approach my writing like I approach my students when I'm, I'm speaking to them one-to-one and, and providing support for them. So that I'm writing in a way that's that's supportive, which is a little bit different than, than most writing. Yes, because we're not all teachers and we don't have that background. So you do have that advantage. And in a way that it might even be a disadvantage in, in a little bit of a way, because um, do you face when you're writing and and you know it's going to be something that publishes are you do you have that perf- i have to have this perfect because of the role that you have is that something that you have a concern of or have you done this long enough that you're you've kind of yep been there done that i i know what to do to get through that well i don't um honor that urge to be perfect when i'm writing because that, that gets in the way of my creativity. I've, I've always taught students to write first, and you can go back and correct or edit or whatever you want to do when, when you have finished writing. But w- when you're actually doing the writing through for the first time, have it come, come from deep inside you and, and put whatever it is that you want, the points you want to get across, but don't worry about whether something's spelled correctly or if it's the exact right word or if you'd like to phrase it differently or if it goes in a different place in that chapter or anything like that. I don't think about any of that when I'm writing. When I write, I write it straight through with what I want to include in that chapter. I have a good idea before I start writing of, of what I want to include. I have like a list, not so much a formal outline, but just a list of things that I want to be sure that I get in there. And then after I, I do that draft, I set it aside for a couple of days and go back to it with fresh eyes. And with those fresh eyes, then the more analytical part of it kicks in and <laughs> I can... Uh, correct errors, change words, um, move information that would be better suited for another place and do all that sort of thing afterwards. And I find by dividing it and my writing into those two areas, the first with the creative side of it, with with whatever it is that, that I wanna get across in that chapter. And then the second, it really needs at least a couple of days in between. I never try to go back and proofread and edit right after I've 
written something because I, I, I'll miss things. I won't see things because my brain sees what it thought it wanted to write <laughs> as opposed to uh, what's, what's best. You have no idea the relief that I, I felt <laughs> when you said, I, I'm not concerned about perfection because that is something that I want people to understand is that messy first draft, that, that brain dump, whatever you want to call it, is intended to be a release of our creativity onto the page. It's not mm -hmm. meant to be perfect. And it there's this illusion that, you know, we'll sit down and pound out that next best-selling novel and, and voila, we don't have to go through it 10 times <laughs> when in reality it's more like, well, depending on what it is you're writing, you know, you could have to go through that that whole editing rewriting process multiple times and so i am grateful that you volunteered that out because it is something that is important to know and especially since you've got all these years of experience that you know you don't sit down and pound out that first you know, that's that right first draft that's right and I, I can give you a couple of examples of, of how that works one of them is i was always considered a terrible speller and i believed that i was a terrible speller and i also believed that i was a bad student because all my teachers told me that i was a bad student because i was a terrible speller well, when I was in uh, graduate classes, it was right, this is going to show you how old I am, but it was right when the, the um, desktop Mac computers were coming out for the first time. And they had uh, two discs. You put one in that had the system on the disc and the other end where you recorded whatever it was that you were typing at that time. So it was pretty primitive compared to anything that we're doing now. And when I would... Uh, use that for writing, I realized that I had, it had a corrector on it for my spelling, and I didn't have to worry about my spelling. And so it didn't stop my creative process anymore. And I also discovered that I, it wasn't that I misspelled everything, that I had a set of words that I misspelled. And I could, I could identify those after the, the fourth time that it auto-corrected on, on the same word. <laughs> I said, okay, that's one of my words. And I learned how to spell that word. And it just uh, became kind of natural to the point that my writing improved drastically when I didn't have to worry about spelling as I was writing it. I also didn't have to worry about typing because until in, it was toward the end of graduate school for me, I had done everything on a typewriter. And when you do things on a typewriter, you have to start the whole page over again when you make a mistake. Yes. And that takes forever. <laughs> and it can actually foul up several pages because the, the error that you made might have changed the spacing between the pages and then you have to type all the rest of it over again. So without having that hanging over my head, my writing improved drastically because I was able to use the creative side of my brain so that helped a lot. And also when I published my first textbook, although I wrote them on the computer, 
I had to, I couldn't send a disc to them. I had to print them off and send this big box of papers to the publisher. And then they would uh, make a copy of it and send it back to me, uh, not, not make a copy. They would do the typesetting for it and print that off and send that back to me. And then I had to go through page by page to um, give it a, like a final, not so much proofreading and, and anything like that, but it, to make sure that there weren't any errors, that we caught everything. And in doing that, what I had to do was cut each one of those pages into the size that fit on another page and use a, a glue stick or scotch tape to tape them down. It was like, like a patchwork quilt mm -hmm. uh, to do that whole thing. And it took forever. And it was really hard to keep continuity when you were doing that sort of thing. So the, the gift of being able to use a computer to write is amazing to me and I even started um, a new writing classroom at my university where I got funded for computers so that the students could write in that classroom on computers because nobody had computers at home but oh, they were so thrilled with with how easy it was for them to write compared to anything that had been up until then so I really felt like I, I had something there by doing that because it didn't help just me. I, I kind of proved it to myself by creating that special classroom to help the students in the process. That's wonderful. And yes, I remember having to do the, the high school reports on the, the typewriter and having to, you know, zing, <laughs> just that, that noise when you rip it out of the rollers. <laughs> Yeah. It's such a unique sound, and um, yeah, I remember having to redo because you find an error, and it does shift your paragraphs, and it's like oh, and then and then you'd end up with like on the second page, you know, like two words, and that's the end of your report, and it's like oh no, yeah, because <laughs> you know you don't want to turn in two sheets of paper, you got to turn in one sheet of paper, and it's like how do I fit those two up there without it going outside the margin, and yeah, I remember those days, and yes, computers are wonderful, and how brilliant to come up with the idea to bring that into the classroom. Uh, again, you were ahead of the curve on that. And I'm sure that that once they saw that it worked in your situation, that others were like, hey, you know, let's let's look at what she's doing. So the university went on to create after after mine was around for a couple of years, they started creating other classrooms. And finally, they built a great big new library and the whole basement was all computer classrooms so that courses any course it didn't have to be just writing courses but any course could be taught in those classrooms where the students would write on the computer and they also uh, put in a great big computer lab so students can go and work there if they didn't have their own computers and very few of them did so it, it was very exciting to get that started because I I knew how much it affected my writing to be able to start writing with a computer. And so I felt like I kind of raised up the university with what we were doing. Absolutely brilliant. And, you know, I, 
I remember as a teenager, because that's like, I'm trying to remember how old I was. Doesn't matter. I was a teenager anyways, when like the Commodore 64 came out and, and yeah, the big clunky computers, you know, that we look at now and it's like, how did we ever, you know, make this thing work because they're so slow and yada, da, 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 da. And they really, you know, there was a whole generation that thought that was just a fad and it wasn't going to last. And so when it did start coming into more of a practical day-to-day use and so forth, then they became more affordable and people really did decide that, oh, hey, look, we probably should get one of these. So anyhow, yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And when you were, when you were writing your, uh, your book, it is on grief. And it is probably one of the most heartbreaking topics to talk about. It uh, is not easy. Um, We have a tendency to fall back into where we were in that moment and feel those raw emotions over and over again. And it does stir up a lot of things. For those that are working on a memoir or a book, a self-help book or anything that is on a topic that is as sensitive as grief or, you know, it's not just grief that's sensitive. There are many other topics, but um, because your book is on grief, the book I'm writing is on grief. I'm going to just focus on that uh, for this podcast. What were some of the things that help you get through writing your book without sinking back into that abyss of, you know, that spiraling downward into the emotional hell that we fall back into very easily in, in many cases? I had several things that helped me with that because I had read before I wrote my book, I had been reading like every book I could find that was a grief book, trying to find something that would help me or something would solve this, you know, that created a different reality for me. And that most of them are so sad. And it's very, I'd read them all the way to the end, just because I kept hoping that there was going to be something coming that was, was going to help me. And I realized that by reading these books, I could see that the author was doing it for a form of self-expression, but not so much for helping somebody else. And so I really looked at what my intention was with the book, what I wanted to accomplish by writing this book. And I wrote it to help provide, help give people uh, comfort, joy, loss and not loss love (laughs) comfort joy loss and support while they're they're dealing with grief and I wanted to focus on positive things that had to do with the experience that they're going through right so when when I kept that in mind I there there are the stories in there that are are kind of heart-wrenching but they're not the whole book and each of the book has at the end of the chapter a practice that the reader can do 
to help them with their deal with their own grief. And most of them are writing based, but others aren't, aren't writing based at all. That there's something that they can look forward to at the end of each chapter in doing that. And uh, let me tell you why I wrote this book to start off with, because I, I, I think that'll kind of uh, address what we're talking about here. Several months after my husband died, I think it was about seven months after my husband died, a good friend of his just dropped dead. And this friend was much younger than my husband. He actually called my husband dad. So that there was that, that big of an age difference. And we had lived close together when I lived on the mainland and our, our families were friends. We would do things together. And I knew him very well. And this guy was one of the most big hearted people I ever knew in my life. And it was um, such a, a sudden loss. And I was so concerned for his wife because she would have no idea that this was going to happen to her. And because she didn't, she was not prepared in any way. She didn't know what she needed to concentrate on and what she didn't need to concentrate on. So I sat down and, and wrote her a letter with exactly that, what she needed to think about now, what she didn't need to think about right then. And he, he died one night and I found out the next morning and I wanted to get her that letter right away and mailing it from Maui could have taken a long time because it's supposed to not take that long, but it's very unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to just email it to her because I knew she wouldn't be on her computer. So I emailed it to a friend of mine who lived close by and asked her to please print it off and take it to her right then. And she did. And later my friend contacted me and she goes, you just don't know how much that letter helped me because nobody talked about those things to me. And I, it was such a relief to, to see the things that I didn't need to worry about because I was worried about them until I, I read what you wrote. And there were things that I needed to do that I hadn't thought of because of what you wrote. And I thought, I'm really happy that helped her, but I want to do more. Yes. So I sat down and decided I was going to write her 52 cards, one card for each week for the first year. And since I live on Maui, I, I, I'm taking pictures on my phone all the time because there's so much beauty here. So I just made a, a little card with uh, one of my pictures, a different one for every week. But I thought, what am I going to say 52 different times? I don't want to be redundant. I want to have it be helpful. So I made a list of what I could cover in those 52 cards. And then I started writing what I would do with what I wanted to cover. I ended up in, in about a 24 hour period. I made the list, made content for all the cards and was ready to start uh, creating the cards with my pictures and, and things and then sent them out every week for a year. And I liked that so much. I, I had the opportunity with, with somebody else to, I just put in another set of cards and started sending them to them. And I was just doing this at home on printing them on my printer and it takes a long time. And I, as I was doing that, I was listening to a podcast about somebody who'd written a book that I really related to her. And I thought, I, I want to read the book that she wrote. So I went to her website and at the bottom of the page, it said, I'm also a, a book agent. And if you have an idea for a book, let me know. And at that moment, I said, I've got a, uh, an outline written. Yes. So I wrote to her right away and she contacted me right back and she said, this is absolutely perfect for what I do and I would love to be your agent. And so that, 
that started me on my book journey right there. And so I used the, the information from each of the uh, cards. Actually, another thing is that I did write 52 chapters for the book, and it was very long, but it contained <laughs> things about each one of those things. And when we finally got the, the contract with the Mango Publishing, they, we, they contacted me, said how many words are in the book, and I gave them how many words were in the book, and it, that went into the contract, and we all signed the contract, and then they uh, assigned the book to an editor. And this editor contacted me, and she goes, this is way too long. We can't publish it like this. We're going to have to drastically cut it. Do you want my, my department to do it, or would you like to go through and cut it? And I said, just let me think about this for a couple of days, because <laughs> you know? I thought I want them to know everything that's in the book. So as I thought about it, I thought, well, the number of words that they, they wanted, that they said they traditionally published in this kind of a book, was about exactly half of what I had written. So I contacted them and I said, okay, how about let's have this contract before two books? We'll publish the first one. And then, then after that rolls out, we'll publish the second one and each one will have 26 chapters. And so that's what we did. So there's, there's always a way you can negotiate with uh, publishers when you, when you work on that. Don't just take something for face value the first time they tell you something. But, and, and it's not always about the length of your book. It could be anything that has to do with it. So I was grateful that I still am going to get everything that I wrote out. It's just not all at the same time. What I... You're an amazing woman because <laughs> of the fact that you are always thinking forward. You're always thinking of a solution. How can I make this better? How can I fix this situation? How can I expand on this? What is the solution? And you're not, you don't have that pause that says, I can't do this. I don't think that is probably in your vocabulary. <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> You're, that, this is truly an inspiration because there are times that when I'm writing this book, uh, this memoir, I think I can't do this. What am I doing this for? There's a million and 10 other people who've written on grief, uh, you know, on their soul's journey because the book is meant to be focused more on my soul's journey versus the grief part. And listening to you is really helping me to put things into a different perspective, into a different, you know, line of thinking, like, okay, what is the solution? How can I bounce off of this? What is the lesson in this? What is, what can I learn? And what should I explore? Not should, what can I explore? to move myself forward in the process because grief is crippling as mm -hmm. you know I, much I, much of our existence wants to stop and just wither away into the ethers um, and it doesn't matter if it's a child a spouse uh, a parent a dear friend uh, grief is grief it all hurts yes at different levels and in different ways but it still hurts. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that 
really impresses me with the fact that you did this to help a friend and what a gift oh my god i mean talk about touching my heartstrings it's like i i'm like tearing up how with what such a beautiful gift that was to to extend to this you know younger woman who who just needed the encouragement that today today is here tomorrow is coming and breathe in this moment and mm. and you know it'll be okay pay attention to this don't pay attention to that and what a gift that's all i keep thinking is, is what a gift <laughs> i i can tell you one thing about that that when when i launched my book i contacted several people because we had to do a book launch online because the pandemic and i contacted several people and asked them if they would do a, a little video about me and the book and knowing me dealing with my grief whatever they wanted to do that would help um, launch the book and so I contacted the the person who I wrote these these cards for and in her video she held up in her hands all the cards she'd kept every single one of them and and had them right there she said she still goes back through them and looks at them and that they they meant the world to her yes Yes, I because our gifts from the heart, there is no purer gift than that that comes from our heart. And what you extended to her was not only your experience and and so forth, but it was your love for her and her husband and and your love for your husband because of the fact that you're going back off of that um, whole experience and when it comes from the heart again there is no pure gift and oh we got to shift the we got to shift our topic because i'm going to start crying here. <laughs> it's fine we can do that <laughs> oh because i mean i'm just thinking had i had somebody do that for me when i lost my son it would have made a world of difference Instead, I heard the, you know, it's been two weeks. Why are you still crying? I didn't break up with my son. My son is gone forever. You know, there's a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Or or the unanswered phone calls when, when I would finally get the courage to reach out to somebody and I would get their voicemail and never a phone call back. Yeah, that's really, and, com really common. That's what I've learned is... And, and it's not that it's meant to be with malice or mm. cause harm. It's because the person on the other end of the phone doesn't necessarily know how, how to listen or what can they say. And, and I think that's more of the issue than, oh, my God, she's call Cindy's calling again because she's upset. And I'm going to have to listen to her cry for 30 minutes, you know. I know I have a couple of friends that felt that way, but the majority of my friends, I'm I'm hoping didn't feel that way, that they were just too busy, didn't know how to how to help me. They didn't know how to help me is is what I'm in my heart. And if I'm wrong, don't tell me. Because <laughs> I don't want to know any other thing. Yeah. But. Well, there's there, there's two things there. I 
I think that when that sort of thing happens, that the, the person that you're trying to contact to is probably grieving too. And they haven't dealt with it or dealt with it enough. And they think they can't handle themselves in front of you. And at the same time, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking this person doesn't care. <laughs> they don't love me anymore, whatever it is. And uh, that's, I'm say probably 99% of the case that's wrong, that, that they do care. If it's somebody that you would reach out to to actually call, you know that they care for you. They just don't know what to say and they're hurting and they're afraid if they start to talk that they will break down and that, that they feel that that wouldn't help you. Where right. sometimes it's kind of nice to have somebody cry along with you to, to it is. understand your loss and, and be able to have you both deal with the loss together. Yeah. One of my dearest friends, um, his son had died in an auto accident. And at any time, didn't matter when, where, where he was at or whatever, if I called, he answered. Mm. He knew, and and he knew my son, and he just knew I needed it because he understood that that not everybody is going to answer the phone, and he didn't want to be that person. And so I was grateful for that, and um, yeah, those those friendships you know, remain lifelong relationships uh, because there's that, that mutual understanding. And, you know, again, if he, if he was, you know, when he was going through his grief, I was always there for him. If he needed to just call and I don't want to talk, I just need to know somebody's on the other end of the phone because I can't make it through the next minute. Mm -hmm. if there's nobody within reach and you're here so is that okay and I'm like of course (laughs) yeah I'm here cry do whatever you got to do and so uh yeah it's uh grief is, is definitely one of those things that uh it it shows us how to really appreciate the things it's kind of like we laugh deeper, we love deeper, we appreciate deeper. Everything, every emotion, we feel it 10 times more than we did prior because we have a deeper understanding of, of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only life, but in but with death, you know, and each death is a learning lesson. I've, I've learned that <laughs> you know, we learn something from, from, from when somebody passes, but, uh, oh, well, let, let me tell you about something else I learned in all this process. It was the, the importance of happiness because it's what's happening with us right now. It, it, you can be triggered anytime and the, the tears will come. And it's, it's been a long time for me and it, it, it still happens. But when I focus on happiness and find ways to be happy, that helps me a whole lot. And I've 
actually in the process of becoming a happy for no reason certified trainer because I, I see the value of happiness, especially uh, when you're dealing with grief. And I can honestly say that I'm happier now than I ever have been. Really? And if you would have asked me that when one of my husbands died, I would say, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's not in the cards for me. But right. when, when you can, um, it's kind of part of the process of self-love mm-hmm. and your, your natural instinct is not to be sad. Your natural instinct is to be happy. And if you can find the ways to bring that out and bring smiles into your life instead of tears, that can help so much. It doesn't mean that you miss the person any worse or anymore, or that you're not going to grieve them for the rest of their lives, because as long as you love them, you're going to carry that grief for them. But you don't have to be in that deep, dark place that we tend to go. You can be happy and know that they would be thrilled to know that you can enjoy your life and that you can smile and that you can be happy and that you can help other people. Yes, exactly. And, you know, truly, they would not want us to sit in that pool of grief, Mm -hmm. um, the pool of tears that, that we shed. They want us to be happy. They want us to live our life. And, you know, yes, it's okay to mourn them, but don't reside there. Yeah. That is the one true lesson that Jeremiah has, has taught me is the fact that one life goes on um, to, um, and of course, I, I just got done writing this and I'm I'm working on the second draft of the book, the second full draft of the mm-hmm. book. And and I just got through that whole section of what he taught me. And and the words are are not coming forward because well uh yeah. <laughs> yeah I understand. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, the trauma, drama, grieving mama brain, you know, mm-hmm. things just kind of like fall out. <laughs> but uh, he, he really has taught me to find my joy. And because uh, I, I know that you don't know my full story of where I've been. Obviously, I'm in a camper. You can tell that a year after uh, my son passed away. I basically sold off everything, disconnected from everything, and went on a soul's journey. And throughout this, that find your joy, find your joy. I I hear my son tell me that, find your joy, find your joy. What makes you happy? Find your joy. And at first it was like, I would be filled with joy if you came back, but you know, yeah. that's not going to happen. So then you make the adjustments and then you realize, well, why am I sitting here in this grief? And I don't want to be here forever. So then, yeah, you're right. You make those steps and, and you go forward and happiness. What was the program you're, you're getting the certificate for? It's Marcy Shimoff uh, wrote the book, Happy for No Reason happy for no reason okay. mm-hmm. she she was one of the people in the movie the secret if you're familiar with that oh that's where the name is yeah okay. she, she's fantastic <laughs> and uh, reading her book really helped me so when i saw this 
program, uh, what you do, she takes you through all of the stuff that she does about happiness, and it's a happy for no reason um, certification. I, I missed one of the words. I can't think of what it was. But anyway, what it qualifies you to do when you become certified is to use these happiness techniques in anything you teach or anything that you write. And that's so great for me because I, you know, if I, if I see somebody that's <clears throat> dealing with something in particular, I can say, Hey, try this. Yeah. Or this might work for you. And it just works really well with, with what I'm doing. I'm, I'm in the process of creating what I'm calling a grief and happiness Alliance, which is a, a place online that people can come together every week and do things both in writing through grief because that's that's what I focus on it's, I teach classes in writing through grief but writing through grief and using happiness techniques and being in in a group that has other people that are are doing the same thing that you're doing so I, I just feel really strongly about it <clears throat> and I'm very happy my mom inspired me actually because when my dad died I, it was a sudden death. He'd, he'd been sick a long time, but not, he wasn't terminal or anything. And he just died and she didn't smile anymore. She just stopped smiling. I know. Um, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just, oh, it broke my heart. And actually she didn't start smiling again until she got diagnosed with a brain tumor. Because when, as soon as she heard the diagnosis, at first she cried, and then she said, she didn't say to me, but I could tell what was going on in her head, that she, she was going to go be with daddy, and so everything was okay. And she started smiling again. There's, there is something very beautiful in that, in, yeah. in that knowing and, and that acceptance so, um, yeah. and I, I just knew I didn't want to do what mom did. I didn't want to, that it would be real easy for me to sit down and not smile and not do anything. It would have been so easy, but I chose to use her example as inspiration to not do what she did. Yes. Well, we're always learning. We're mm -hmm. always learning by example. And and in shifting gears in a way, um, when you were going through all of this, were you journaling and absolutely? Yeah, I, your I, healing, one of your healing tools was was to write it out. Yeah, I I wrote a lot. <clears throat> I wrote a lot more actually after uh, Ron died, who was my second husband to die. Um, after Jacques died was when I found Marcy's book, and I also started I had several different people tell me that I needed to write down what I was grateful for and I told each one of them that they were crazy my husband died I didn't have anything to be grateful for <laughs> but I kept I, I started thinking you know what I'm getting this from different angles it's not just one person saying this airy fairy thing it there, there must be something to this so I started trying to do that and the more I realized that I did have things that I was happy about. The more things I found that I was happy about, and I got like almost addicted to writing my gratitude out. And I, I would write, um, 
I'd be standing in the bank and have to pull a receipt out of my purse to write something that I was grateful for right then because I didn't want to forget. <laughs> I love and, that. Yeah, I, I started a, a finally a, a gratitude journal instead of having all these little pieces of paper all over the place so that I, I write down. I still to this day write at least three things every day that I'm grateful for and not just that I'm grateful for them, but, but why, what, what happiness does that bring to my life? What, uh, how does this serve me? And that kind of writing really helped me a lot. I like that because it really draws you into, it's not topical. It's, it's mm -hmm. not like uh, I'm happy or I am grateful for the sunny day. Well, why are you grateful for the sunny day? And then you get to draw on your five senses and then you really bring that within and and then, yes, then you really feel the sensation of gratitude instead mm -hmm. of it being that dull, dry, yep, I'm grateful for a good running truck. I'm grateful for my computer that works. <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's not topical. I like that. I've, I've done that as well. And that is something that I really should get back into doing again and expanding like you said expanding on the why why you know why is it nice that the sun why are you grateful the sun was shining why are you grateful that the truck works and and of course you got that whole law of attraction thing because what you what you put up she comes right back at you <laughs> so is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't bring up or that did not naturally get brought up in our conversation? I think um, maybe the, the value of writing that you don't have to, I, I used to think if I was going to take my time to write something, it needed to be writing for publication, you know, and, and I would work along that, um, that line. But when I started learning the value of, writing just for me and it can be anything from writing just writing in my journal writing my gratitude lists uh, writing poetry whatever it is that I want to write that that supports me in that moment yet it also makes me a better writer in the long run because the more you do something the more comfortable you you become with it and the easier it is for you to do a really good job with it yeah so I just advise, even if you're not in the process of writing for something for publication right now, don't stop writing in between, but find, find ways that you can actually write. There's, there's something about getting it out of your head. If, if I don't write things down, sometimes it'll stay in my head. I feel like it's bouncing around in my head and gets in the, in, interferes with anything else I'm doing. But if I write <laughs> about it, then, then I can get over that and uh, focus more on the moment right then. Yes. And I, I have the monkey mind that just kind of sits there and juggles the stuff. Oh, so what do you want to think about today? Oh, here's the thought you have lingering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yes, when we get when we get things out on paper, we can see it for what it is. And oftentimes those events, those rants, those writings of how unfair XYZ is when we see it on paper, we're like, we have that ability to go, oh, wait, that, that's not real. That's, that's an over-exaggeration. Or 
that's not what really is going on or or it gives you the opportunity to really look at what's going on mm-hmm. and uh, resolve it as such. So, so where, Emily, can people find you? I have my um, website is the name of my book. It's lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. My email is emily at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com. And my book is available any place where books are sold since it's traditionally published. You can, of course, get it on Amazon, either uh, paperback, Audible, or Kindle version. And it's, it's just, it's available any place. So, and I'd love to hear from you, uh, anybody who reads the book and see um, what it did for you or what you thought. Yes. Well, I have to say thank you for everything for sharing your your insight your wisdom thank you for the gift that you gave that young woman who who needed you uh and and the list is i i know of at least 10 things to put on my gratitude list now (laughs) (laughs) and it all comes from this conversation (laughs) i do thank you very very much for your time and Emily, this has been, this has truly been very helpful for me and it will help, it will help others as well. So, Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I appreciate the opportunity to do this. I just, I, I feel like the more I share, the more I talk about it, the more comfort and support I can bring to people. And that's what I want to do. That's my intention. Before we end our time together, I'd like to say thank you for listening to our conversation. To access Emily's website and the book she has written, go to the show notes for this episode at pentapaperpress.com backslash podcast. Take a moment to leave a comment on the show notes page. We would love to read your takeaways that you gained from this episode. To receive future episodes in your inbox, subscribe to the Pen to Paper Press newsletter and to subscribe on your favorite podcast application. Take care and until next time, keep your pen to paper and write. Remember, know that your words have power. Your story matters. Bye for now.